one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to try for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. On an RBI hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Ackerman, and we are coming at you with an episode as Phillies pitchers and catchers and position players in a couple of days are reporting to spring training. Good sight to see, of course. Hopefully it removes a bit of the sting from what was obviously a tough Super Bowl Sunday for the Eagles. But we're not here to talk about football, of course. We're here to talk about the Phils and specifically some Phils prospects. Joining me to do so on today's pod, Keith Law, senior baseball writer for The Athletic and a prospect savant of sorts. Keith, thanks so much for hopping on the pod today. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing well. So wanted to have you on because you obviously dropped your top 20 prospect lists and organizational reports for each team's farm system over the past couple of weeks or so. And off the top here, just wanted to kind of ask you, what are some of the things, players, trends, you notice, things that stood out to you while you were making your list on the Phillies farm system and um, sort of taking a step back and viewing the farm system as as a whole? What are well, what are the big takeaways that that you had when well, when doing your sort of deep dive into the Phillies farm system. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's any big surprise that they have this interesting group of three pitchers who finished the year um, or spent a good part of the year in double A. Yeah. Um, there were actually four. One has since been traded, obviously, but it's Painter, Abel, McGarry. And they haven't had a group like that in a really, really long time, right? 10 plus years, certainly, since they've had that kind of pitching depth and Obviously, you don't expect all those guys to work out, but the fact that they even have that potential is extremely interesting. And there's some interesting depth also in kind of high upside outfielders, Um, athletic guys, got a chance to play up the middle, got a chance to hit with more risk, obviously, more variance around their potential outcomes, but also a pretty interesting group. And the third thing I'd highlight is just how good, how Yuli appears to be. And he was not even on my others of note list for the Phillies a year ago, even though he signed in 2021. But I had, oh, Bias Cat is here. I had a number of scouts tell me and a couple of R&D folks say, this guy's, if he's not a top 100 prospect, he's not that far off. And I would tend to agree with that. I think if I I don't rank more than 100, I think after a while, even ranking 100, you start to get to some pretty fine and maybe too subjective distinctions. But if yeah. I'd gone... 130, 140 names, he would have been on it. He's absolutely in that next group. And I would not be surprised at all if he goes out and just kind of rakes his way onto the top 100 a year from now. Well, why don't we start with how you Lee? He was actually somebody I wanted to ask you uh, about. He's he's somebody who used to be like relatively under the radar, I guess, in a prospect sense. And now it seems like he's, you know, kind of the the next big thing or all the all the hot talk when it comes to talking about Phil's prospects. What was something that sort of stands out to you about him? And what have you seen out of him over the last year or so that kind of took him from fringe, as you said, like top maybe 10 in the organization to somebody who, as you said, could have been, you know, around the 120, 130 range in prospects in the in the sport. And I haven't seen him yet. I'll see him this year because he'll play in Jersey Shore and or Reading, both of which are around me. I don't see Clearwater. I don't see Florida State League um, because I value my sanity. Um, 
who goes to, I don't know why anybody goes to Florida in the summer. I don't know why anybody goes to Florida really, although sometimes I have no choice, but <laughs> I will see how you lead quite a bit this year, but I just talked to a pretty wide number of scouts. He was one of the players just as it, as it works out, right? I just happened to get a lot of different opinions on him. And there was a complete consensus that he can hit. Now there's some small disagreements over um, exactly what the ceiling is with the bat, but everyone came and everyone pretty much agrees. He's not going to be a shortstop in the long term. He'll probably play second. He could play third, but I think second base is most likely, but everyone agrees. He's going to hit is a question of sort of what else, right? Last year, what we really saw from him was average and on base, a little bit of power. That's actually a decent power output for a 19 year old playing in a pretty pitcher friendly league. Does that improve? As he continues to move up the ladder, where he's not particularly tall, um, and I think people are stereotyping a little bit just based on the history of position players coming specifically from Taiwan. I think in general, it's an expectation position players coming from any of the major countries in East Asia where we where we do get prospects from that they tend not to be big power hitters. But this kid's pretty strong, and it does seem like he was making pretty good quality contact. I don't have access to all the data, but what I was sort of uh, what was given to me was, hey, this guy's making above average quality contact in a league that doesn't really reward you with a lot of power. And when you view his batted ball data and his age in the context of the environment in which he played, there might be some more upside there, and people might be even slightly underestimating him. And I, I think the last thing I'll say is also it's, it was just one year, right? A year ago, he was nobody. And the fact we all, I think, fall into this, um, it's not a trap, it's a little bit of a dilemma, it's sort of how much do you buy into a guy where it's basically all concentrated in one year, whether you're talking about performance, scouting looks, right. data, we always feel better when we have two or three years of history with a guy, whether it's going back to him as an amateur or time, even just time seeing him in previous levels carrying forward that level of production and we don't have that with him and those were all reasons why he was you know fourth on my list and not in the top 100 when honestly if he did it two years in a row probably does push him onto the top 100 because we're all just more confident then in the trend yeah. line and where we think those skills will project yeah um i want to get into some of the arms because that's obviously what the organization is known for mick abel right He's a guy who was taken number 15 in the 2020 draft. Obviously, he sort of jumped to the top of most Phillies prospects lists within the first year or so, or I guess all Phillies prospect lists, really. Um, he didn't have a bad 2022. Um, I think there were some issues, as you kind of wrote about, with the command and sort of, um, you know, he was passed by Andrew Painter in most or all prospect lists because not that he's, you know, not a highly touted prospect or anything, but Andrew Painter's just really, really good. And we'll get into more of him later. But you wrote in your review about Mick Abel that he's a little bit of command away from becoming a number three type or with a little bit more command, he could be a number three starter. Is that kind of the ceiling that you see for him? Or do you think he could sort of vault himself into number one or number two territory? So I do try to distinguish between, you know, an ultimate ceiling. Absolutely. Everything goes right. 199th percentile outcome yeah. you know, for Abel, you know, that Abel shows up this year and suddenly you know he's got a splitter that's a wipeout pitch right guys do that yeah. and he's got enough of a foundation that we could talk about that where he magically comes up with another pitch or suddenly you know he's 93 98 now if he shows up next year and he's 96 to 101 you know that changes things a bit that's yeah. not likely and so i talk about that as kind of an ultimate ceiling versus when i'm describing a player's ceiling or upside 
it's a reasonable ceiling. And I think a reasonable ceiling, something he can get to, but that's not the most likely outcome, is that he's a mid-rotation starter. And there are a couple of reasons for that. It is not just about strikes with him, but it's the quality of the strikes. He does not really show particularly good fastball command. And it surprises me because I saw him as an amateur. thought, well, this guy's going to, he's going to have good command. It's a great delivery. He had good stuff, but already showed pretty good feel for it. And it looked like he had pretty good ability to manipulate the baseball. And that hasn't been true now in two years in the minors. It doesn't mean he can't get there, but so far it's really not been up to expectations. The fastball does play down a little bit from its velocity. I had a couple of scouts tell me they did not like what the quality of contact that they were seeing against the fastball, particularly against sort of lesser hitters when he was still in a ball. And I think the changeup needs to be better. That's the thing I think is most likely to improve. I think just by throwing it more, most high school pitchers don't throw a lot of changeups unless they're like Cole Hamels, where it's their out pitch. Dylan Lesko in last year's draft class, who's now with the Padres, he was one of those kids. But unless a kid, unless a high school pitcher has an absolute wipeout changeup, they usually don't throw them very much because it's kind of doing the hitters a favor. And I think that is true of Abel. And I think uh it is going to be a developmental priority for him this year. I think it was some somewhat of one last year, also true for Painter, and it will be true for both of these guys again this year, that they're going to have to throw the change up more. That's going to be kind of a mandate from the Phillies player development people that you need to throw this pitch more to improve your feel for it and to get used to it as a core part of your arsenal because it's very hard to be a starter without a change up or splitter to get hitters on the opposite side of the plate out. Always a little disturbed when I look at a guy and think you should have good command already, and you don't. It's not like oh, we just clean up this in the delivery, etc. And he, his delivery is good. I like his delivery, so it's not really that. But when a guy's got a delivery that good, it also makes me sort of hold out more hope, more optimism that the command will come at some point, maybe just with experience. And the thing that's kind of least likely to improve is I think the fastball is probably always going to play a little light relative to its velocity. But if that changeup comes on and becomes an above-average pitch form, he'll have the two secondary weapons. Then I won't be as worried about that. He'll just end up pitching less with the fastball, which is kind of a general trend in the sport anyway. Yeah, it it, it sounds like with him that the potential is still there for sure, but it doesn't seem like he would be a this year or even probably next year kind of guy. Somebody who is, um, yeah. no? Are you thinking? No, I of- don't think. No, I was agreeing with you. I don't think he's a okay, yeah. kind of guy. That was not I was I was shaking my head in sort of like, yeah, I can't see a scenario where he really helps this club this year. He could debut, make one spot start. They're trying to win, right? Let's get back yeah. to the World Series here. Yeah. I don't think Abel's that. You know, if this were a rebuilding team, that might be different. You might say we're gonna get Abel 10 starts at the end of the year because we're trying to develop our pitching staff for future seasons. That's not them. They want to win. They're they they should be trying to win, and they're clearly doing that. Yeah. Andrew Painter, on the other hand, is somebody who, you know, people are talking about him maybe starting the season with the big league club, making making the staff out of spring training, which is really unheard of. I mean, he's 19, 20, and that's just something you don't really see. He'll be 20 in mid-April. Um, I guess it's, it's sort of tough to ask about him because it's like, where do you really start? So I'm just going to kind of pose it to you broadly. What do you see when you when you when you watch him? What are the things that have people most excited about him? Um, is there any like caution because people are, are kind of just throwing themselves, you know, onto the hype train, like there's no chance it sort of backfires. And we've seen prospects who don't pan out, especially with this team, but it seems like people with him are pretty much like a surefire thing that he's going to be a stud and he could even be a stud this year. So what are some of the things that you see when you watch him pitch and why are people so high on him? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm going to start with sort of the, the, the bad and I can spend more time talking about the good. I mean, 
how many times have we seen the top pitching prospect in baseball just flame out, right? Yeah. Forrest Whitley. Yeah. Andrew Painter's not that dissimilar to Forrest yeah. Whitley. Both huge guys who threw really hard and would show you uh it, you know a, a plus breaking ball that you, you know maybe that's a 70 pitch at some point and they're throwing strikes painter even you know, moves up to double a at the end of the year and it's, it's actually walking fewer guys and i believe if i remember correctly his percentage of his pitches for strikes was even better at double a in a hitter's park at 19 like it's easy to get caught up in this obviously i do too i have him as the second best prospect in baseball only behind yuri perez and i think by one or two spots on my top 100, which is a, a distinction without a difference, right? I'm saying these two guys are about equal for me. Um, and so, and, you know, he's a 19-year-old pitcher. They get hurt. Yuri Perez got hurt a little bit last year. He's fine now, but he did. And, you know, Painter has not pitched that much in pro ball. And, you know, obviously you, we all hope and want him to stay healthy, but there's just more risk when trying to talk about the near end and long-term value of a 19 or 20-year-old pitcher. Yeah. So setting all that aside, and by the way, I don't think he should make the opening day roster this year. Um, I would much rather see him. Uh, I, I think that potentially shortcuts, short circuits a little bit of his development, not permanently, but mm -hmm. it is there are things I want to see him continue to work on. But this is a big, huge, strong pitcher who can hold his velocity, whose fastball really does play um, better than Abel's. And he's bumped it, his painter has bumped 99. He sits a little bit higher. He comes from a high-ish slot, not right over the top, but high three quarters, which can be pretty tough for hitters to pick up. And that gives a lot of depth on a curveball. That's already a plus pitch anyway, but because he's coming from up top too, it just has more depth to the pitch, more perceived depth to the hitters at least. And he can do a lot with just those two pitches. Now it's, that doesn't two pitches generally doesn't make a major league starter, but those two pitches allowed him to just carve up basically every level. He pitched at three separate levels last year and he carved everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, he was able to do that uh, largely working with those two pitches. Um, he's got to change up. Uh, he just doesn't use it very much because he, again, doesn't have to. And, and you know, in some senses doing hitters a favor, but I know the Phillies are going to try to, are going to emphasize him using that. And that's one reason to have him in the minors. If you're going to tell a guy, you got to throw 25 changeups a game. You don't tell him that in the big leagues, right? You tell him that in double A and triple A. And hey, if you get hit a couple of times, that's okay. That's part of the process. Um, and I know he's got a slider as well. I like the curveball a lot more. I think that slider could be a weapon for him if there's just more power to it. And I don't know why that's not there if it's just that he has less confidence in it he's not throwing it as hard when your fastball is where painters is your slider should have more power to it even if it, whether we're just talking pure velocity or tightness of break and it doesn't it's fine he doesn't actually need that pitch he needs the change up a whole lot more and i feel like if they put him on the major league roster obviously he he's got the two pitches right now to help a major league team in some capacity maybe it's long relief or the bullpen i like the idea of breaking starters in in a role like that but this guy has number one starter upside and to me you set aside short-term needs to do everything you can to get this guy to number one starter upside I mean, he's yeah. got you know this could this is best pitcher in the national league at some point in his career type of upside and i don't mean the 99th percentile like this is a reasonable upside we're talking about for him but there are steps he has to take to get there. I guess if he shows up in Clearwater this week and suddenly it's a wipeout changeup and we see that over the course of March, I'd, I'd have to revisit that. Right? 
that's not very likely. Um, I yeah. and honestly, I just feel more confident, even if he went to AAA for a month to start the year. And we see at the end of that month that the changeup is turning out to be a real weapon for him. And the other stuff hasn't changed as the other two pitches are still there and he's still throwing strikes. Which, okay, great. You know what? May 1st, call him up. You really haven't lost very much at that point, but you've at least increased your confidence level and given him a chance too, if he does need to make further adjustments to that pitch, that he can do that in the minors as opposed to doing it for a major league team that is expecting to go back to the playoffs to try to get back to the World Series this year. Yeah. While we're on the painter note, I heard a take the other day that I kind of want to ask um, whether you buy or sell this one, and I'm just going to throw it out there. If Griff McGarry learns how to throw strikes on, well, somewhat regularly, he would be the best pitching prospect in the Phillies organization. Is there any truth to that? Could you buy into that at all? Or is Andrew Painter just simply too good? I couldn't see that. I would definitely take him over Abel. If you just give Griff McGarry average command and control, I would take him over Abel. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't have that. And I'm not sure he gets there. And the Phillies have done a hell of a job with him. Like I saw him in college. He couldn't, he got booted from the UBA rotation because he was walking more than a man in inning at that point. It's funny. I saw him um, against Henry Davis and it was basically, I was sticking around for Davis's last at bat. And I see this guy coming out of the bullpen. I'm like, Griff McGarry, wasn't he, in, wasn't he starting? And he's warming up and it was immediately obvious. Like, Oh, this guy's throwing hard. Let me hang out for a sec and see. And it was 97, 98. And he got Davis to line out pretty hard, but got him out to right field. I was like, boy, that's interesting. That's not a top three rounds guy in this draft class, but it's the guy you, you would love to get at some point. And the Phillies played it right. I think it was fourth or fifth round, right? fifth round and then they get him in and they basically took the UVA out of his delivery and like, Hey, you're a good athlete, right? Let's try to just go back, probably back to a high school delivery. I don't have the history with him, but something like that. Just, Hey, just loosen up, pitch kind of what's more natural to you. And, you know, he went from a guy with walking a man and inning basically to somebody who was a viable minor league starter. And you can at least talk about a reasonable ceiling for him as a major league starter. But at this point, I don't think, and I know like, Preston Mattingly, who I respect a ton, you know, he thinks McGarry's a surefire starter. Most other people aren't sold because we don't believe we believe in the stuff, but we don't believe in the the strikes and the quality of the strikes. And he's already come such a long way, which is great. I mean, it's a tremendous story. It's a win for him and for player development. He's still got a pretty long way to go to get there. And he might be one of those guys, too, who bounces around a lot as a starter, but ends up, you know, can't hold a job in a rotation, ends up on different teams, but has a pretty long career because he's got really good stuff and multiple weapons to get guys out. He's good. Painter's more of a sure bet. That feels pretty funny, but I feel way more confident in Painter as a pitcher, too, as somebody who can take the weapons he has with the delivery he's got and convert that into a lot of outs at the major league level. Yeah. And then there was the thing last year, they were talking about bringing McGarry up to sort of help with the bullpen toward the end of last year, Um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, could have been something that they could have tried, but I think the fact that they didn't do that, there were a lot of reasons. um, But I think you're right that they do see him as a starter long-term, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to want to get him to throw more strikes if they can trust him to really, you know, be that sort of, What do you think is what do you think would be like a you know outlook for him if he is a starter long term? Is he like a back of the rotation kind of guy, or is he some of the you know maybe a two or three type? Um, where do you kind of see him stacking up against? Um, well, the rest of a major league average pitching staff, we'll call it. Like to me, McGarry 
it's it's at least number two starter stuff, mm-hmm. but it it's more like a number four starter, like somebody who's on the wrong side of league average, but not by a lot, and maybe has a lot of variance year over year as a result of that. And it's all command and control. And yeah. I, but you know when I'm talking about like I'm not saying this guy is not you know it, it's not like he's you know lacks baseball IQ or one of yeah, those yeah. nebulous terms too. Like, and I think he competes. But he really just has not figured out how to harness his body and his delivery in a way to get to consistent strikes, to consistently locating the ball more or less where he wants it to. When you got stuff like that, you can make a few mistakes. He's got some latitude, but he's just – it is hard to express how much better he has gotten since the Phillies got him without – sounding like I'm overselling him. And on the flip side, you know, what I'm talking, I'm saying like this guy's like a fourth starter with a, with very wide variance in potential outcomes makes it sound like I'm down on him. I'm not, this is, this is pretty great. You took a fifth rounder and a year and a half later, you know, he's top five prospect in the system and, and, you know, certainly a top, I don't know, 200 prospect in the sport. Yeah. One of the things that sort of followed the Phillies farm system around for the last couple of years is that, the arms are great. The high-end arms are great, of course, but the arms are sort of way ahead of the bats. And um, mm-hmm. what they've done with the development of the pitching side, they haven't really been able to translate to the hitting side. Do you think that's an accurate portrayal? I know that at the top, you kind of said um, there were some high high upside outfielders that a lot of people can be confident in. But um, do you do you generally see enough potential from the hitting side that they could sort of like balance the scales a little bit, even if you know, the arms are what's going to make or break the, I don't know, the the top 10 prospects for the 2023 Phil's farm system. But like, how much do you see the hitting side really lagging behind the arms? And um, do you think there's there's enough promise that they could sort of balance that out in the next couple of years? Um, it does lag behind. I think that's a pretty accurate summary of the system. There are hitting prospects I do like in the system. Um, but other than Justin Crawford, who's a little bit TBD, right? He is there's it's pretty high upside. He's got a lot of physical development still ahead of him. He, he is kind of undersized in this in a strength sense yeah. for his age. And that is a bet on that he's going, you know, he's very, very projectable, but it you know, could be three, four years before he really fills out his body and we're seeing some of that power potential that could make him a five-tool guy. He's not a five-tool guy now, but you can look at him and project five, six years out and say he he will be a five-tool guy or he may be a five-tool guy. But I also look at the rest of the system. Like I have just a position players there. Johan Rojas was the top position player on my list because he's got a – but it's not for his bat. Actually, the bat is kind of the weaker part. It's that he is potentially a 70 or better defender in center with elite speed yeah. who's going to add value on the bases. And, you know, just honestly, not that you ever want a guy to just hit the ball on the ground and run, but he could do that and, and actually yeah. end up a decent big league player. So there's some floor there, not ceiling. How you lead, obviously I like him a ton based on everything everyone told me this year, still haven't seen him. But again, I don't think that's a high ceiling guy. He may be a fairly high floor, long time regular, never a star type of player. Great to have, great job at the international department, but the same thing where's the ceiling whereas with these pitchers we are talking about some ceiling we are talking about guys who are potential stars and there you can even look further down in the system and see like christian mcgowan who you know had tommy john early last year so we should see him pitch this year that guy's got a lot of ceiling we just haven't seen him pitch a whole lot in pro 
ball. But that's a guy I'll really be watching for once he returns this year. There's just more upside on the pitching side. It's not just that it's closer, but I think they've done a better job targeting ceiling. Whereas on the hitting side, they haven't necessarily gone after it to the same extent. And obviously they had real problems with some of the people who are no longer with the organization trying to alter guy swings and having it not work out. And obviously Scott Kingery is the best example of that, but we've seen a lot of guys in this Philly system who had hitting potential kind of stall out the last few years. And that to me would be job one for Mattingly and his new people is to turn that around. We can't take hitters with a lot of promise and get nothing. We need to be more like the other way around. Yeah. I want to ask you as we sort of approach the end here, name a Phillies prospect or two that you're sort of higher on than most. And we'll call it in around the seven to 20 range because we've obviously talked a lot about the top guys, but who are one or two or maybe even three names that, um, you know, fall within that like middle to lower tier, but still of the upper echelon of Phil's prospects that um, you think are a little bit undersold or under talked about or just people that you have more confidence in than most. Well, one would be McGowan, who I just mentioned. I mean, he's up to 97. It's uh, a three-pitch mix, and he gets a little more because he can manipulate the fastball a little bit. I, I don't think it's a true cutter, but he can cut it slightly to give it a little extra movement. Um, like I said, he had Tommy John, but it was in the early part of 2022, so he should pitch in game. If he's, it remains on schedule, doesn't have a setback. We should see him in games at some point later this summer. He's a guy I could see making a particularly big move. I mean, people who've read my stuff in previous years know that I am the president of the Simon Simon Muziotti fan club yeah. in part because I pretend he's Italian like me. Um, I love watching him play. I love how he plays. But the guy has been like one of those unlucky Andersons for the last couple of years, too, where it's like injuries, visa issues. Like he's barely played since the pandemic started. And I don't think that takes out his um ceiling necessarily like i still think this guy could be a regular in a perfect environment but it doesn't help but this guy needs reps and he needs to stay on the field he needs to show that he has the ability to stay on the field but that's a guy i really like and i think if we get a full season out of him he could certainly help the major league club or end up a pretty big piece in a trade if they need to make one because if they decide that they have other players around him um who uh who kind of make up for uh allow them to have the um capacity to make that trade um, probably the bigger ones that I feel particularly strongly about, even as I'm looking through the rest of the system, like I saw Carlos De La Cruz, he's super fun. He's also a six, eight position player. There's basically none of those in major league history have been any good, yeah. but I mean, it is really easy, hard contact. It's not a bad swing either. It's just, he's six, eight, he strikes out almost 30% of the time. So it's like, what do you do with that guy? But I still put him at 11th on my list because man, if he is the outlier, like it's it like I said, it's a good swing. This is not a six eight guy who's like got a gigantic swing or what that is never gonna result in contact. It's not out of the question. I think it's unlikely, but he's all or nothing, right? If he hits, he's a really good, probably above average regular. And if he doesn't hit, he he probably never sees the major leagues. Yeah. The other kind of storyline that's that's followed this team around for the past couple of years is the core is good, right? But once this core is gone, and they're young, but they're not super young, right? They're a lot in the like early 30s, late 20s range. Um, when Harper's gone, when Schwarber's gone, when Trey Turner's older, you know, well, Harper's not going to be gone for a long time, but you get what I'm saying. When this current core sort of passes their prime, I guess, and they're sort of out of the window that they're in now, where you think that they could be like World Series contenders now, let's say five, six years down the line, do you think that 
the way the farm system looks now, and obviously there's a lot more to be seen in the next couple of years and they're going to draft new guys and they're going to trade for new guys, all of that. But the way that you see it now and the way that they stack up around, you know, the league and the rest of the National League East, do you think that it's kind of when this core is gone, the window's over? Or do you think that there's enough talent there, enough high upside at least to where if things go right, they don't necessarily need to fall off the cliff that, you know, a lot of people have sort of projected might happen once this current core is, um, you know, on the wrong side of 30, we'll say. I would characterize it more as they can probably keep this window open another year or two because of what's in the system, either because they'll be adding guys like Painter, maybe Abel. You know, it also comes down to how many of those guys do they keep, right? Dave Dombrowski is pretty aggressive in terms of trading prospects. It is, my mandate is to win now. And it is, he's not, I'm not disputing that approach, but these guys aren't all going to play in the majors for the Phillies. A lot of these guys will play in the majors. They're just going to do it for other teams because he's going to trade some of them not all of them, I'm sure, but some of them to try to get help to keep this team contending and improve its chances of getting back to the World Series. And I'm fine with that. That's why you try to build a farm system. Um, but it may, you know, there's that back and forth, right? This current core, if they never trade any of these guys in the system, it will extend the competitive window by a year or two. But maybe that makes them less likely to win in some of the years closer to now because they're holding those prospects too long. Um, you know, the flip side is they trade everybody. They might improve their odds this year or next year, but then the window closes that much sooner. I, I'm going to hold out hope that Dombrowski, who, you know, he he's a good baseball mind. Like, it's not like he doesn't know that Andrew Painter's really, really good. Maybe that's the guy they keep. And they decide, okay, well, maybe if we can get the the that one critical piece in July, we're willing to trade Abel, but we're not trying, or we're willing to trade McGarry, but we're not willing to trade Painter. That's the approach I think he'll take. And I hope he'll take that kind of splits the difference there and does what I said at the start of this answer, which is just extend the competitive window by a year or two. Um, but you shouldn't be holding on to these prospects, other maybe than Painter forever. If it makes the major league club better, especially if it's more than just a rental, do it. Well, Keith, thanks so much for joining the pod today. I uh, always enjoy reading your work over at The Athletic and appreciate you sharing some of your Phillies prospect insight on the pod here today. For everyone tuning in, you already read all of Keith's work, but if you don't, you're missing out on a ton. Keith, thank you again for joining the pod. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We will talk to you next time.